0: And the title of my message today is Love Not the World. We all know that we are not going to be in this world all that much longer. The end is fast approaching, and knowing the signs, no one knows that better than Christians who walk closely with the Lord. Many of us have emailed back and forth and talked about how we've had our moments of, you know, wishing life could be normal again, which we all know now will never happen. Normal is not ever coming back, y'all. The Lord has told us that, and we have to let it go. We have to let it go because we have work to do in the time we have left. Serious work. Nothing is more serious than the business of winning souls. So we have to let go of whatever part of our life that changed that we miss and just move on. So part of going through this time we live in as Christians who won't deny Christ as this continues to get worse is going to be letting go of the world and all it has to offer us. On Wednesday... July 21st, 2021, while reading Fox's Book of Martyrs again and praying, I was reading about one of the martyrs, John Lambert, in the introduction where the person who had translated the Middle English of John Fox's book to Contemporary English was writing about how the stories of the martyrs affected him. And he wrote, When they burned John Lambert and held him up out of the fire with their halberds so that he would burn more slowly, I sat at my computer and wept. And when John Hawker raised his flaming hands over his head and clapped them together three times, I rejoiced at the amazing grace of God. As I read his account, my own eyes filled with tears at the amazing courage of these saints long ago, whose courage and conviction was so strong. And I said, Lord, so many of us are spoiled Americans who don't even know we're spoiled. How can we ever be that strong and make you proud if we have to face death like that for what we believe? Please help us to stand strong in courage and conviction like they did if it comes our turn to die for our faith. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, teach them to love not the world or the things in the world. And he showed me so we will be able to let go and not miss these things when they are taken from us or when we have to forsake them to stay alive a little longer to finish his work. Teach them to love not the world or the things of the world because they are not of me. He showed me what is in the world is not of him. Our possessions, any money we have, our careers, our education... Whatever we think we own, those are not of him. He graciously allows us to enjoy them for a time, but only his word is of him. Our loving kindness is to others, encouragement of others. Those are of him. Unity is of him. The rest belongs in the world, to the world, and is not of him. My friend Grace, Minnie Round's wife, is the kindest, most gracious person I think I've ever met. She is so kind and gentle and gracious that I was praying one day recently and I said, Lord, why can't I be more kind and gracious and patient like grace? Her personality is so lovely. Why don't I have a personality like that? And the Lord answered and he said, you could not do what I've called you to do with her personality. (laughs) I said, yeah, I guess not. Speaking hard truth takes a whole different mindset. I am very direct and very to the point. I just don't feel we have a minute to waste in this time. Every day I feel a stronger urgency to get the word out there to win more souls for him. Tonight could be the night he warned us about, the night the attack falls on us as we lay sleeping in our beds from the night sky when so many will be turned into hell. We got to get moving, y'all, and do whatever he's called us to do. Our time here is not about our pleasure, our enjoyment, or our stuff. The disciples got to know Jesus, then did their job and went home. And that's our job too. That increasing urgency, which many rounds has also said he feels, is why I cannot slow down. It's why I feel compelled to spend more and more time in study and no time doing much of anything that's not related to the Lord. I know the time is up and these souls depend on us. Y'all, if not for the grace of God, I would be among them. Only by his mercy am I saved and teaching you because I ran from him. Those souls don't know him. They're like we used to be when we were in the world. They're just trying to be happy the only way they know how and trying to have a good time because that's all they have. They don't have Jesus. They will be among the lost who are turned into hell if we don't get the message of the gospel out there. When I stand to give an account before the Son of God on the other side, I don't want to have to explain why I spent all my time looking at TV or reading books or enjoying the pleasures of the world, going shopping, getting together with friends, going out to eat, going on vacations here and there. I want to have something to lay at his feet, some work, some souls that I helped to win. How can we stand before the greatest king of all time, our bridegroom, with nothing to show for all he has done for us? How can we offer nothing back for all his agony, nine hours of hanging nailed to a cross? Every morning you wake up, that's his mercy. Every time you connect with a loved one by phone or the internet, that's his mercy. Every time you can pay your bills or give in to the kingdom, that's his mercy. The thought of having nothing to show for my life horrifies me. So my friend Grace was talking one day about reading a book called Love, Not the World by Watchman Nee. And though I have quoted Watchman Nee, I had never read this particular book by him. But things she said about how he wrote about the world made me want to read it. So I got the book on my Kindle and began to read it. Most of my reading time is spent studying the word or books about things I'm teaching on so I can bring as much revelation as possible to the table in my teachings. I no longer read for pleasure. The last time I read even part of a novel for relaxation was in 2016 when my daughter and my granddaughter were staying with me. And when she was coming to stay with me, I was like, oh, good, I'll have somebody to talk to and somebody to go do stuff with. Because at one time, my daughter and I were best friends a long, long time ago. And we did a lot of stuff together. And the first Saturday that they were there, they got up early in the morning and left. And they were gone all day. And I was like, oh. And I was... I was heartbroken, y'all. I, I don't, there's no two ways. I was I was so hurt because it was very clear they did not want to spend any time with me. And they didn't want me to go with them and spend any time with them. And so I got a novel. I went to the store and got just grabbed a paperback novel. And I don't know, I got some kind of treat, like a, some soda or something. And I just went and sat out in the sun for a little while and, and tried to get into the novel as an escape from the pain that I was in. And I couldn't even, I mean, I just, I just can't get into secular stuff anymore. It doesn't appeal to me. And that was the last time I ever did that. For, after that, I gave up even trying to read any kind of, and I used to love to read novels. As long as they were clean. But something interesting happened to me on July 18th this year. July 18th is the anniversary of my salvation. And this year, I celebrated 25 years in the Lord, a whole quarter of a century since the old me died, praise God. I was delighted to make that anniversary and I wanted to spend some extra time with the Lord that morning to kind of, you know, commemorate it. I didn't know if it was special to him, but it sure is to me. So that morning I was still recovering from the stomach flu. I made some hot elderberry tea to drink because I couldn't drink coffee yet. And I was just talking quietly to the Lord while I made it, you know, praying about the day and praying for people. And I said, happy anniversary, Lord. And I'd never thought to say that to him before, but it was kind of our anniversary. And I just thought of it, and I felt his absolute delight when I did that. And as my morning progressed, I did get to spend extra time with him as my friends' Minnie rounds in grace left for a while because they knew that I was in prayer. And I'm sure y'all know small children are never quiet except when they are asleep. So as I spent that extra time with him, I felt his delight in that. But when I whispered, happy anniversary, Lord. I felt such a surge of incredible delight coming from him that I realized he wants us to talk to him like that. He wants us to pursue him like we would pursue somebody down here that we loved. Kind of like he wants us to romance him. That sounds strange, but I think that's actually what he wants. And he's our bridegroom. And if you have a bridegroom, you're going to romance him, right? I never saw that as clearly as I did that day. So I want y'all to do something this week. This is important. I want you at some point this week, when you're just talking to the Lord, to say something like that to him with all the love and all the passion that you feel for him. I'm not kidding, just something. Say it with love and passion from your heart. If if it's not from your heart, don't do it because he'll know. That's all I did that day. I spoke from my heart and I'm telling you, he rewarded me all day long. I had the most lovely day. And he sent me gifts that day. He will surprise you back for your love. I had never even thought of our years together as an anniversary to him. I thought of it as my salvation anniversary, but I'd never thought of it as our anniversary. And for some reason, that morning I did. And I will from now on for sure. So First John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. Now, lust is a strong desire. 17, and the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Verse 17, and the world passes away and the lust thereof. So all the desire you felt for worldly things here will die with you when your body dies but he that does the will of God abides forever. This is telling us that if we are in love with anything in the world, anything our eyes see and long for, any person our eyes see and long for, anything that is about power or prestige or promotion that is of the world, it may keep us from doing the will of God. You know why? Because a man cannot serve two masters. Romans twelve two, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You cannot prove God's will while you're in the world, can you? I know I couldn't. My life would not look anything like his will or like it does right now if I was still out in the world. And you know, I've I've always, I don't know what this means, but I've always wondered why there is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think that's three different levels that we can respond to him by, but I'm not sure. It makes you wonder if there are three levels of reward that go with them the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. Galatians 1 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present world according to the will of God and our Father. So it must be the Lord's will that we get delivered from this present world, then, right? And I don't really think he's talking there about delivering us as in taking us to heaven. I guess he could be, but delivering us from desiring the present world while we are yet in it. That's what I think. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Those are the strong desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So the things you used to love and love to talk about, put that away. Put that away so the Lord can teach you to love him and love holiness instead. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If we get rid of all the thoughts and conversation that used to interest us and we are in the word of God as we should be, spending some time in it each day reading, listening, studying and praying so we have time directly with him, then our mind will be renewed through the washing of the water of the word. And I want to mention something else, too, while we're on this subject. Have y'all ever seen somebody that says they're a Christian, but nothing about them seems Christian? The word says that we are a new creature. When we've put on Christ, we are a new creature in him, you know, when we get saved. But I'll tell you what, if I meet a Christian who looks like the world, talks like the world, dresses like the world, and hang out hangs out in worldly places like bars and clubs, I'm concerned for you. Because clearly, you are more in the world than you are in Christ. And it's clear you have not laid down your life and taken up your cross. And some people find that they love the world so much that they need to go back to it. You know, it's a curious thing to be living in a world, and yet we are not supposed to be of the world. Its temptations are all around us. And yet, once our mind has been renewed, and we are totally devoted to the King of Kings, The world really holds no attraction for us. Yes, we all appreciate a comfortable home, a job we enjoy, good food to eat, nice things to wear, and the people that we care about around us, don't we? We enjoy fun and relaxing vacations if we have time to take any, gifts on holidays and talking with friends. But at the end of the day, if you must choose any of that or him, on which will you decide? Revelations twelve eleven, and they overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. James 4, 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And you know, the patriarchs and disciples had to fight their desire for the world just like we do. Hebrews 11, 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he refused both position and prestige. That was very prestigious. Choosing rather, verse 25, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 2 Timothy 4, 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed and to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia Titus to Dalmatia, it should be noted that loving the world is not just something we can see on the outside of a person. It is their internal life, their thoughts and desires. It's the concern about what people will think. It's a desire to have as much of this or that as someone else. It's wanting that promotion or worldwide platform Wanting to be more handsome, more beautiful, the best dress, have the best body. And those desires never really come to an end, do they? Because the world around us is constantly changing. So what's in today may be out tomorrow and something different will be in tomorrow. And you'll want that if you're worldly. What's trending today won't be trending tomorrow. But don't worry. New fashions come out all the time. It's measuring anything in your mind by the world's standards. It's an internal ruler that needs to be cast out and sent away far from us. First John 2 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. So what is the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh are your physical desires, desires for food, sex, comfort, vacations, relaxation time, drugs, if you're into that and anything you crave or have cravings for. What is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes is about materialism. It's about desiring things and people you see with your eyes. Lusting after a person, after nice clothes, that sort of thing. Lust of the eyes is what covetousness is. Covetousness means it's, you see something. you want. Your neighbor has a beautiful home. You want their home. You want a home like that or something like that. What is the pride of life? The pride of life is all about desiring position and prestige. It's about living in the the best part of town, driving a Mercedes, having an education so the right abbreviations are after your name, going to the right college. So a person can seem like they are not worldly outwardly, yet their heart is still fixed on all these things. Not loving the world is about not loving your life unto death. The Lord wants us to let go of the world and all its enjoyments and pleasures and cling to him. Because in what is about to transpire, he is truly the only sure thing. The Lord and his word will never pass away, but everything around us, all the people we know and love, all the things we enjoy in our lives, those will all pass away. Hopefully the people we love are saved and will only pass from this life into eternity so we can see them again. Love Not the World by Watchman Nee also speaks of three main uses of the New Testament writers of the Greek word cosmos, which is translated world in our Bible. One, the material universe, the round world, or this earth. Like in Acts 17.24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. The second use is twofold. The first is the inhabitants of the world, and the second is an extension of this usage leads to the idea of the whole race of men who are alienated from God and thus hostile to the cause of Christ, which really describes our world today, does it not? Third, we find cosmos used in scripture for worldly affairs, worldly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, and pleasures, which though hollow and fleeting, we still desire sometimes. And those put us in danger of having our time and attention and even hearts drawn away from the Lord. So to sum it up, the three definitions of the world are the material, earth, or universe, the people on the earth, and the things of the earth. Ever since sin entered the world, the world has operated in hostility to the Lord. And God's attitude towards the world that hates him is pretty uncompromising. We know there is something or someone else behind the systems of the world. We can clearly see him in our time, the prince of this world who is at enmity with God. You know, back in about 1999 or 2000, somewhere in there, uh, one day I was driving to my job at Bank of America in Carrollton, which is part of Dallas, and I had a vision. I was just sitting there in traffic looking at all the cars, because you're stopped in traffic as much as you're going in Dallas during rush hour. If you don't know that, you're probably stopped more. And I was kind of looking around at, you know, the cars and different stuff and the people, and I saw this vision, and on the vision was a conveyor belt. And on this conveyor belt were all these different nice cars with all these smiling people in them. And some were alone and some were families and whatever. And they're all traveling on the conveyor belt. And at the end of the conveyor belt was this big screen that was showing all these happy images, you know, kind of like the commercials on television show you if you buy this or buy that, you're going to have this awesome life, you know, and all that. And at the end of the conveyor belt, between the con- end of the conveyor belt and the screen, I saw a big pit. And as the cars hit the end of the conveyor belt, they would drop off into the pit. Behind the screen, showing the happy, awesome life images, was Satan, and he was laughing. So Saturday, I woke up at about 4 a.m., and I got up and got coffee, my Bible, my prayer list, and all that, and I went to get down to the business of reading the Word. And I happened to check my phone as I was getting everything set up, and I caught myself reading a few lines of the latest news. Oops. Oops. Having to read the news every day is is loving the world, y'all. None of what's in the news is about the Lord, and for sure none of it is good, especially in our time. And you know, the enemy will always throw every distraction at you that he can to keep you out of the word and out of prayer. Can I just say that? It is up to each one of us to stop him, because if you can do nothing else for the Lord, pray for the lost. Pray for him to save the lost just as you go about your day, Lord. I pray for the lost people right now. My favorite thing to pray is I'll pray, Lord, in the gangs, in the in the worst gangs. I pray that you save the hardest core, worst one out of the gang and then use them to minister to the others or some other, you know, sin group. I will just I will just come up with one and I'll pray that and then later on I'll pray for a different one. The Lord's heart is to save these souls. It is his heart. It breaks his heart for somebody to reject him and end up in hell because he sees that, you know, and you wouldn't want to see any of your children in hell. I wouldn't want to see mine in hell. We know that the powers that be are setting up to do a big financial reset and bring about the mark of the beast. That's not hidden from anyone who's Christian who's paying any attention at all. We know any day now that the whole process could be put into place. We have watched the most basic of our freedoms being trampled and left in the dust and ashes the last few years here in America. The Lord has told us this is it, that this time it is not a drill. So we know that we are in the last book of the Bible. And the Lord told Ray Bergman one day that the white horse rides, meaning that the first seal is already open. And the Lord has given me this message about letting go of the world. He is helping us every way that he knows how to start letting go of the life that we have lived here on earth because it's nearly time to begin our life in heaven with him. I got the words for this week, two weeks ahead of time. And they're very serious words, as I'm sure you've noticed. Anyone who does not accept how late the hour is and prepare spiritually will find themselves in dire straits before too long. And for those of you in shock about it, I can tell you I also never dreamed in a million years I would be alive in this time, ever. The end times were something that was going to happen in somebody else's lifetime, right? Not ours. The word worldliness is defined as devoted to, directed towards, or connected with the affairs, interests, or pleasures of this world or the earth. So basically, things and interests that are not spiritual in nature. Learning to not love the world is putting these things and interest in their proper place and prioritizing them correctly in our day-to-day life. It was very late Wednesday night of last week. I'd only just finally gotten to relax after working on sermons all day and helping my friends a little bit with their move. So my plan was, while I was working some more on the sermons, I was going to listen to a documentary about John Fox, the author of Fox's Book of Martyrs. So I turned on the TV, went to YouTube, and started one. I, I gave up cable years ago, but I had streaming. Not even five. Said I started the documentary. And I was sitting there working on the sermons. Not even five minutes into it, my TV malfunctioned in a wild way. It buzzed briefly, then the screen flashed white, and then it began flashing one bright color after another at me. It definitely got my attention. I can tell you that. And as I looked at it, kind of bewildered, I said, "Lord, if you didn't want me to watch that, you could have just said." the sermon I was working on was Love Not the World. So I can't make this stuff up, y'all. I can't. I have a collection of DVDs. Plus, there were several clean series set in the 1800s that I would stream over and over just to have something to watch in the evenings when I'm trying to de-stress. That's kind of my decompress time. I'm not a person who watches TV all day. I never was. To me, it's just relaxation or entertainment. So it was immediately after that, as I was working on this sermon some more, that the Lord let me know he really does not want me watching any TV at all. So I was like, aw, (laughs) that was my recreation. And then I immediately gave away my TV armoire and my two TVs. I had one in my bedroom, one in my living room, to friends who needed them. I love the Lord more than anything or anyone. What he says goes, period. My life is his. He bought me with a price and his presence is a treasure I value above all else. So I'll give up whatever he says. And you know what? I missed it most that first night. And I missed it occasionally as the day was drawing to a close because I used to hurry and finish my chores so I could go, you know, just relax and watch something uh, and de-stress while I was working. Usually I usually I would do that and work till at least midnight, sometimes one or two. And, and just a continuation of my work day just was a little bit more enjoyable because I was watching something. And then I realized I can relax just as well when I'm researching and writing. So there you go. God will never lead you wrong. As I close, I want to read you an installment from my newspaper column about life. I wrote this over 10 years ago, and it illustrates the attraction the world holds for all of us. It's called Distractions Along the Journey. This is a quote by Sharon Janes. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, 200 miles from the coast, and yet our local Walmart has a random smattering of seagulls that soar overhead and eat french fries and other debris from neighboring fast food restaurants. The truth is the seagulls are lost. They've taken a wrong turn. And instead of discovering where they went wrong, they've settled for an asphalt parking lot rather than the salty sea. They've reconciled themselves to feeding on the refuse and trash of harried shoppers rather than the fresh seafood cuisine of their feathered forefathers. I love that quote. Life is a highway, the song sings, and life is like a highway in many ways. It is a constant progression towards who we are meant to be. Like every other journey, sometimes the scenery changes as we go along, or the weather changes, or the terrain changes. There are beautiful parts and not so beautiful parts. There are stops along the way, places where we can pull over and linger or even park if we wish. There are signs pointing us to where we need to go. and There are signs pointing us to many places we don't need to go. Advertising de- destinations that distract us from truly becoming all that we can be in the end. Sometimes the distractions along our paths cause us to veer off course and we lose our focus for a little while. Some become so distracted they never find their way back to their true path. Sidetracked by the enthrallment of temporary delights, they become lost along the way. For those who do find their way back, we have lost momentum on our journey, but hopefully there is still time enough to reach our tree destiny. One must not linger too long at the cheap attractions offered on the roadside billboards of life. The distractions peddling some enjoyment, some titillation, some bargain blast of excitement which, like the intense rush of a roller coaster ride, thrills us for a moment but ultimately keeps us from moving forward to a life of real fulfillment and true bliss. It can be so easy to get caught up in the bright flashing lights, the sweet taste of the moment as we gaze in wonder at what appears to be an enchanted wonderland laid out before us. The brightness of the electrifying illusion gives us temporary escape from our rough and rocky path, but is not where we ultimately belong. The shoddy prize shouted by the advertisement quickly loses its appeal if we are wise enough to realize it has blinded us with its artificial brightness. It confused us about where we wanted to go and delayed our way to our destiny. If we spend all the days of our lives on the cheap carnival rides of instant gratification, we enjoy temporary escapes from the difficulties of our path, but we also lose our chance to build something real on our journey through life. We miss the true gifts of adversity. We will miss the diamond-hard toughness adversity can produce in us. We will miss a testimony of overcoming the obstacles of our journey. Then as we begin to see behind the flashing lights of excitement, we will run towards the end of the road at the last minute with hopeful eyes, where we see the glistening of our true destiny radiating like an unfolding dream before us. But we will be out of time. And all we will have to show for our path are dirty, wrinkled ticket stubs, for the fleeing rides we took along the journeys that should have built our lives. So many roads, so many detours, so many choices, so many mistakes. That's a quote by Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. Before I close, I want y'all to do a little exercise with me. This exercise was designed by my friend Royce out in West Texas. Very, very smart man. He taught it to his class at church. You will need some paper and something to write with, or you can type it on your computer. You will want to think about these for a while later. This is your homework for the week. (laughs) I always said I was going to be a teacher when I grow up. I guess I did. The exercise is this. I'm going to read you a list of things, and I want you to write them down the page, okay? Then I'm going to ask you a question, and it would be good to have room for about four columns out to the right of this list. Number one. Long-range plan. Number two, recreation slash entertainment. Number three, free time. Number four, set daily routine. Number five, retirement plans. Six, job. Seven, health care. Eight, money or wealth. Nine, automobile. Ten, cell phone. Eleven, having guns as your constitutional right, the right to bear arms. Twelve, all personal property that you own. Thirteen, your privacy as a constitutional right. Fourteen, your house. Fifteen, medication. Sixteen, shower. Seventeen, electricity. Eighteen, food. Nineteen, water. Twenty, Bible. And I added 21, children or other family members. Okay, now I want you to write these titles on the top of the four columns out to the right. One day. One week. One month. One year. Now I want when you have time. I want you to go down this list and put a check in the column that represents for each thing how long before Jesus comes back you would be willing to do without that item on the list. Okay, so like number one would be how long would you be willing to give up your long-range plan? And number seven would be how long would you be willing to do without your health care before Jesus comes back? Okay, now... I want you to really, really think on each of these things because this is not a joke, y'all. These are going to be real choices in the very near future and you will be required to make them, make no mistake. The alternative is going to be to take the mark of the beast and become a citizen of hell for all eternity. There is no turning back from the mark. You must deny Jesus to take it and you do not get to change your mind on that. The Bible says if you take the mark, that's where you're going. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast at his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. The reason I added item 21 to that list, children or other family members, is because the Lord let me know not too long ago in the last couple of months that those who refuse to take the mark will have their minor children or dependents taken from them under the guise of, well, you can't take care of them now, so now they're ours. I believe they'll take the children and put them in re-education camps. I don't know what they'll do with elderly dependents. I also saw that family members will put a lot of pressure on you to take the mark because they don't want to lose you, of course. Matthew 10, 37. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. those are hard choices, y'all. Verse 38. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. 39. He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. The Lord has told us that he is darkening the separating lines. He has drawn between good and evil, between his people and the world's people. Have you considered how that might play out? How those lines might be made even more contrasting. He showed me as I was writing this podcast that he does this by causing us to make choices. Some of the choices are small ones. Will I watch that show or will I pray? Will I spend time in the word or will I surf the internet and shop for something? Will I chill out at home or will I go visit that widow in the next block who just lost her husband? Will I give my full tithe or will I keep back a few hundred to take the family out? Choices that seem like they would not make that much difference and yet, in this time, these choices are huge. Will I enjoy my treasures here on earth or will I lay up treasures in heaven with my time, attention, and money? When that fateful night comes and death falls on us from the night sky, I hope that all of you listening will have chosen the better way to lay up treasures in heaven because many of us are going to heaven to give an account for how we have spent our time and our giftings on the earth much sooner than we think we are. The Lord is showing me that there are people listening right now That some of you are going to die within the next few months. So you need to be sure that you're making the right choices. He told us, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. Every choice is either bringing you more life and him or more death and the world. That's all I have for y'all this week. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas, 72539. Or by email at jphtoday at gmail dot com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Sidewalk Flowers Volume 1 is a collection of 58 short inspirational readings that will uplift, comfort, and encourage readers from every walk of life. Sidewalk Flowers includes inspirational tales and topics taken from the lives of everyday people who exhibited extraordinary wisdom, kindness, and courage while traveling the sidewalks of life. Get your copy of Sidewalk Flowers Volume 1 today, available in print and new audiobook. Sidewalk Flowers, Volume 1 by Glenda Lomax. Available on Amazon.com in print or new audiobook. There is no one on earth who has not been wronged at some time in their life. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has been hurt by someone. The pain you have suffered does not make you special. It is what you do with that pain that sets you apart. Life can make you bitter or it can make you better. You choose. The only difference between the two is the I. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where suddenly it just felt like your whole life was falling apart? I call these experiences the wilderness experiences. Wilderness experiences are times time of great uncertainty and change. Uh, there are times when our faith is tried and refined. After many experiences, the Lord spoke to me to write The Wilderness Companion, which is a virtual road map through the desert times of your life. Find out why you've been led to the wilderness. Find out what the biggest hindrance is to receiving provision in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Drastically cut the time you spend in the wilderness by learning how to partner with the Lord instead of working against Him. Every Christian needs to read The Wilderness Companion. It's by Glenda Lomax and it's available on amazon.com or wingsofprophecy.com. Amazon.com, The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will at some point encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas costs you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audio book, The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com. Sold out for 30 pieces of silver in Exodus 21:32, it is the price of a dead slave in Leviticus 27 2-7 it is the price of a live one Jesus was sold for the price of a bond servant precious Jesus the son of God the Prince of peace the King of Kings why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap